you are listening to Revelation Revealed, where we debunk 10 common myths about the strangest book in the Bible. And today we're going to look at myth number five, that only a few people will be saved. I want you to think back to the Great Commission. This is when Jesus gives his marching orders to the church. And he tells the church that because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, now the church is tasked with the mission to disciple the nations by baptizing them and by teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Now here's a question. When Jesus gave this commission, did he expect us as the church to fulfill it? Or maybe looking at it another way, should we as the church be optimistic about our success in discipling the nations? Well, I think the book of Revelation says yes. Specifically, Revelation chapter 7. And I think in Revelation chapter 7, we see that God's kingdom might be a little more crowded than we might expect. I want to give a little background on Revelation chapter 7. It opens with four angels holding back four winds of judgment. Now, if you watched our second video on myth number two, You'll know that when we talk about judgment in the book of Revelation, we're not talking about the end of the world or the return of Jesus, but rather we're talking about a specific historic judgment. When God judges Israel for rejecting Jesus by destroying Jerusalem and the Jerusalem temple using the Roman armies in the year 70 AD. This is a historical event, and it's something that Jesus actually predicted in the Gospels. So before that happens, the four angels are actually holding back this judgment for a specific purpose. And here's the purpose. God sends another angel to tell those four angels to hold off on judgment because God is going to seal 144,000 people. Now, what is the deal with this 144,000? Depending on what tradition you grew up in, maybe you thought that was the maximum amount of people that are going to be saved. Maybe you thought that this was some number uh, of, of people that would be raptured. There's different theories about it. But when we read numbers in the book of Revelation, we have to read them not as 21st century audiences, but as 1st century audiences. We have to read them as a Jewish Christian in the early church would have read them. And now the, the Jewish Christian would understand that numbers are symbolic. Numbers aren't just to be taken literally, but they represent certain realities. And if you look at 144,000, it's a multiple of the number 12. 12 is symbolic for fullness or completion. And that's why you see the 12 tribes of Israel listed in Revelation 7. So this is symbolic for the fullness of Israel. Uh, one unit, one military unit in Israel is 1,000 people. So there's 12 tribes times 1,000, that's 12,000. And the fullness of that would be 12,000 times 12, which would be 144,000. So this group is a group of Jewish people that is the fullness of a certain number of people that God wants to do something with. So he has, he has a certain uh, number of people that he wants to set apart for a special purpose and he's going to get everyone that he intends into that group. Now, if you think about what the seal means, because God says he's going to seal these 144,000, sealing is a reference to God putting his spirit on people. So if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes that the, the Holy Spirit is our seal. He's the mark. Uh, he marks us out as God's children. So if you put it all together, before God judges Israel, he is going to set his spirit 
on a certain fullness of Jewish people, a certain number of Jewish people in Jerusalem to save them before this judgment. He's going to give one massive act of mercy. This is an amazing reality because if you think about Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is in agony over the fact that his Jewish brothers are rejecting the Messiah. And God here, it's almost like he heard Paul's prayer and he goes, listen, I am so merciful that even before the judgment comes, I'm going to convert a mass amount of Jewish people to my cause and they will become martyrs for the church. Not all of them will survive the judgment, but they will survive eternal judgment and I will give them my spirit and they will trust in Christ. That's an amazing vision of the patience of God. I think about an early church father, Tertullian, who told his congregation to pray that the second coming would be delayed so that people in his church could continue to minister to non-Christians, so that their non-Christian friends would still get an opportunity to repent before it was too late. But then John turns around, and this is amazing. He turns from the group of the 144,000 that are sealed by God to another group, And this group is a massive, uh, innumerable uh, sea of people. And they're not just Jewish people. They're people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. This is a multi-ethnic, massive sea of people. And they're dressed in white robes, and they're holding palm branches, which is a sign of victory. And all their tears are wiped away. Now, what I think John is seeing here is he is seeing the church at the end of time. So this is one example of Revelation talking about the end of history. This is the church in all of her glory after Jesus has come to rescue her. And when Jesus comes to rescue her, he doesn't find 17 people huddled in a corner somewhere. But what does he find? A massive sea of converts with their tears wiped away, suffering ended, and the gospel being proclaimed. And John goes, who are these people? And then he realizes, after he converses with a heavenly elder, that these are the people who have survived the Great Tribulation. Now, the Great Tribulation in the Bible can refer to a specific period of time, or it can refer to a symbolic period of time. And I think here it's symbolically speaking about all the suffering of the church throughout the ages. The word tribulation really can be translated trouble. And it harkens back to Jesus' words in John 16, when he says that in this world we will have tribulation, we'll have trouble. But then what does he say? Take heart because I have overcome the world. Well, John is catching a glimpse of that future. He is catching a glimpse of the church overcoming the world in Christ. And then he talks about how Jesus is their shepherd leading them to living water, which reminds us of Psalm 23. Jesus will lead his people to the green pastures and they'll lie down and rest. But how do they get there? It's through the dark valley. It's through the valley of the shadow of death. And the same thing for the church. How does this church end up in white robes and palm branches of victory? How do people from all the nations gather together around God's throne? It is through suffering for the name of Christ. That is what leads to glory. It's an amazing picture. I don't think we should lose perspective. Christianity may be dying in America, but it is rising in China and in the Middle East and in South America and in Africa. There are people in underground churches that are persecuted that are growing in number. So just because America may not be thriving spiritually doesn't mean that God's kingdom isn't growing. 
And in fact, America doesn't even have to exist for God's kingdom to be victorious. There is stuff going on that is far beyond us. And now it's kind of like the stock market. If you look at the stock market from day to day, it's going up and down, right? But if you look at it over decades, you see it's a steady rise up. Well, looking at the church is like that too. You look year to year or maybe even decade to decade, it may be up and down, revivals and then people turning away and then people, the church being strong and then the church being weak. But if you look over time, you see a massive expansion. I think the Apostle Paul would wake up today and go, Christianity is where now? And you can click a button and people can have the Bible in their language? And my, my letter's been read by how many people? And it's not to say that things are perfect, but I think we need perspective. God is moving in this world in powerful and profound ways. And that means our work is not in vain. God will finish the mission. He will disciple the nations, not just individuals, but full nations. Now, you might hear this and think, that's crazy. Brian, I don't know how you're getting this. That's fine if you disagree. But man, don't you wish this were true? Wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that change how you thought about missions, how you thought about your work, how you thought about evangelism, how you thought about church, where you spent your money? I mean, don't you want this to be true? It's an amazing thing to think about. Thank you for watching this video. Uh, again, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tell people about it. And also follow us on Four Oaks College where you can watch more of these Instagram TV videos and hopefully uh, you can share these with people that you think it would help. Thanks for listening.